Hey guys, welcome to the Ancient Plan Podcast. Uh, my name is Jeff and this is my co-host Ray. And we're in season one. And here in season one, we're discussing the main story that the Bible tells uh, starting in at the beginning in Genesis. And then the plot continues to unfold throughout the rest of the Bible. And it comes to its climactic conclusion at the end of the book of Revelation. So what we're doing here in season one is we're just studying key chapters in the Bible that tell key points uh, in the plot line of the story. And we just want to become familiar with the, the, the big story that the Bible is telling. And, um, and so what we're going to do today is we're looking at Isaiah chapter 11. And in Isaiah chapter 11, it's, um, I, I think of it like this, you know, there's, um, actually, let me say this. I forgot to do this. I, I, I want to just, um, make this available to you all. Normally what I do is I tell the four main parts of the biblical storyline. And so, but what I'm going to do this time, we love audience interaction. So if you can tell me the four parts of the biblical story that, you know, that I've shared on all the other podcasts, <laughs> if you can put it in the comment section before this episode ends, I will send you, I'll message you, I'll message you and uh, I'll send you a free copy of my book that I wrote. Mm, and that's uh, good. yeah, so if you can do it, that's the book I wrote right there. Paradise, mm -hmm, yeah. God's eternal plan for people of the earth. Send you a free copy. If you can tell me the four parts of the biblical storyline before this episode ends. So anyway, <clears throat> so we'll jump right into it. So Isaiah chapter 11, uh, this is the thing is when you look at God's plan to redeem God's redemption plans. Okay. It really, it, um, I, I think of like, what is it going to look like Lord? This question. What will it look like when your redemption plan for people and for the earth is brought to completion? Um, what will it look like? You know, do yeah. you have a clear picture in your mind that you can see it and it's informed from the scriptures, not just your imagination, but it's it's informed by actual Bible passages? What will it look like when God's salvation plan is brought to completion? And 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 what we do as we track through you, the main major covenants of the Bible. So we looked at the Abrahamic covenant, the, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant. We're going to look at the new covenant coming up here probably in a few weeks. Um, you can actually see like, like I imagine like if you had a blank canvas, I've watched artists do this before. Like they have this blank canvas and then they start painting and they paint kind of one layer and you're kind of watching and you're like, what's the picture in their mind that they're trying to put on that canvas? And they do like one layer and you're like, okay. And you're trying to guess what it's going to look like when it's all done. And then they do the next layer of the, of the painting and you're like, oh, okay. And every thing they do the next layer the next phase of the painting it the the picture that's in their mind begins to crystallize on the canvas so that others can see it as well and we and we can see the picture that was in their mind and i think like god has a clear picture in his mind of what his his plan for people in the earth is going to look like when it's brought to completion and with every covenant that God makes in the Bible, it's like another layer on the canvas. So he makes yeah. a covenant with Abraham and it's like, okay, um, it's going to be through Abraham's descendants that all nations on the earth are going to be blessed. And they're going to be living in this uh, land of Canaan forever. It's like, okay, and he's going to have lots of descendants. And you see a little bit of the painting and, 
And then it goes to the Mosaic Covenant, then the Davidic Covenant. It's like, oh, okay, one of David's descendants is going to be ruling from the city of Jerusalem forever. And, and it's like, and what we do is Isaiah chapter 11. I feel like it puts a whole bunch of those pieces together. And we're looking at a pretty vivid picture of what it's going to look like when God's redemption plan is brought to completion. And it's exciting. It's really yeah. exciting to look at. So, um, yeah, do you have anything you want to say on that, Ray, before I read the scripture? Yeah, I, I would just say, and the reason that we know it, it's eschatological is because a lot of what's in here has not happened yet in a literal sense. And so um, point. as after you read it, I'll dive into a little bit of historical context just so we understand what is going on in the first 11 chapters of Isaiah, because it is it is a hard book, especially if you don't know what the context is. So go ahead, you go ahead and read and then we'll dive into some of that. Yeah. And I just want to give you a quick outline. This is kind of a, probably help you as I read through it. So I see verses, there's 16 verses in this chapter. Verses one through five is describes the anointing of the Holy Spirit that rests upon Jesus to rule the nations. And it describes what kind of leader he's going to be when he's ruling the nations. Verses six through nine describes in detail the effects of some of the effects of his leadership, specifically in the capital city of Jerusalem, which will be the capital of his government on the earth. And then verse 10 describes the effects of his leadership on the other nations of the earth. And verses 11 through 16, I think of that as kind of initial priorities that Jesus will accomplish when he returns and begins to reign, you know, in that season. Um, you know, I think of it like when a president comes into office, they're elected and they, they have these, you can tell like their, their most important priorities are usually the things they're, they're, they have a plan their first 100 days in office, you know, what they want to get done right away and uh, put their stamp, you know, about this is the kind of leader, this is the, my agenda. And I think 11, verse 11 through 16, these are some of those um, initial priorities that Jesus is going to accomplish when he's ruling from Jerusalem. So I'll get in and I'll begin to read it. Isaiah chapter 11, starting in verse one. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance nor make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word. And one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. In that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion and the little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put its hand in a nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. In that day, the heir to David's throne will be a banner of salvation to all the world. The nations will rally to him and the land where he lives will be a glorious place. 
in that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to bring back the remnant of his people, those who remain in Assyria and northern Egypt, in southern Egypt, Ethiopia and Elam, in Babylonia, Hamath, and all the distant coastlands. He will raise a flag among the nations and assemble the exiles of Israel. He will gather the scattered people of Judah from the ends of the earth. Then at last, the jealousy between Israel and Judah will end. They will not be rivals anymore. They will join forces to swoop down on Philistia to the west. Together, they will attack and plunder the nations to the east. They will occupy the lands of Edom and Moab, and Ammon will obey them. The Lord will make a dry path through the gulf of the Red Sea. He will, <clears throat> he will wave his hand over the Euphrates River, sending a mighty wind to divide it into seven streams so it can easily be crossed on foot. He will make a highway for the remnant of his people, the remnant coming from Assyria, just as he did for Israel long ago when they returned from Egypt. So let's look at the first five verses uh, here, Ray. So what are some things that just stand out to you in the first five verses of this passage? <clears throat> uh, I would say the first thing that that stands out to me. So in the, in Revelation, I can't remember what chapter, Revel, uh, talks about the seven spirits that stand before the throne. And so right here you have um, the seven spirits being described, which some scholars would say would be like the seven parts of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if parts would be the right word, but the seven characteristics or the the divine nature of the Holy Spirit, which is that he's the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, spirit of understanding, spirit of counsel and might, spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. Um, and so to me, you know, we're talking about a messiah, messianic figure coming that's going to rule uh, in a different way than any other world leader has ever or or, or king or president has ever led. And so this sevenfold, the, the, the character, the seven natures, uh, I don't, I don't want to say parts cause I don't want to make it sound like the Holy Spirit's split up into parts cause he's not. Um, but it, it, there's seven distinctives, I guess you could say, um, yeah. to, to the spirit that he will rule under. And so, or rule with, uh, and so when you just read those, you, you just think about how much it contrasts from, uh, world leaders throughout history, presidents throughout history, um, leaders of nations, um, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. I mean, isn't that what you would want to be said about your president? That the spirit yeah, of the on. Lord will rest upon him, right? The spirit of wisdom and understanding, right? Like these are the things we want to be said about our world leaders, but there's one yes. coming and, and these things will rest upon him. With yes. with one hundred percent certainty, so it won't be like once in a while he operates in wisdom and understanding. <laughs> It'll be like every single choice will be just and righteous. Wow! Um, and so uh, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, um, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And yeah. so obviously this this is talking about Jesus. And so if you don't mind, can I just take a second to give a little bit of historical context to this? Yeah, yeah. Um, so what, what's happening historically while Isaiah's prophesying is um, the, the northern, northern and southern Israel are divided. So Judah's in the south, um, and then you have the, nor the northern tribes. And the northern tribes want to make an alliance with Syria against Assyria. Assyria is the world power. 
uh, at this time while Isaiah is prophesying. And Isaiah is going to King Ahaz, who's the king of Judah, and he's telling him, don't form an alliance with anybody. Don't, don't actually, don't even do anything. I know this world power is coming, Assyria, and they look like they're set to conquer. And, and, but I, I'm actually telling you not to do anything from the Lord, right? And so, um, and then Isaiah prophesies to Ahaz, he says, and the sign is going to be that I'm going to bear a son um, born of a virgin, right? And mm. so this is, this sounds reminiscent, right, of Jesus. Um, and so Isaiah is going to bear a son of a, or his wife, who is a virgin, is going to bear a son. Uh, and his name is Mahir Shalal Hashbaz, probably the hardest name in the Bible to pronounce. So all this is like, all this is happening in chapters one through like, or I'm sorry, uh, seven through uh, six through 10. Um, and so he's saying, this is going to be the sign that you're not supposed to do anything to, to make an alliance because your alliance and allegiance needs to be with the Lord alone. And you're not going to rely on other nations to deliver you from um, Assyria. And so <clears throat> the king, King Ahaz says, well, I'm not going to make alliance, but he does a backhanded kind of thing where he does actually make an alliance with Assyria. And he says, I'll, we, we'll ju we're just going to submit to you, which is a huge problem because the Lord told him, one, not to make an alliance with anybody, and two, right. not to give in to Assyria. Yeah. And so, and then, the, and then he ends up cursed, and he says the Messiah that comes will actually eat... Um, curds and honey. I think it is something like that. In other words, he'll be poor. He's not going to, um, he's going to grow up, uh, in poverty. Right. Uh, so, and that's talking about Jesus and it's because Ahaz did not obey, uh, the commands of the prophet or what the prophet was telling him. So now we're getting into this messianic figure who's going to come. So you got a foreshadow in Mahir Shalal Hashbaz, who's this child born of a virgin who's the seal of the promise, do not align with another nation, do not bow to Assyria. And the, the, the sign is the sun, right? But then it, the verses start to blend into, from the one born of a virgin into a, a messianic figure that is going to come and rule the nations in righteousness, right? Mm. And so we can see there's a already, right? The already promise to King Ahaz to the not yet the messianic figure is going to come. And then what Isaiah 11 is describing is the millennium, right? We're, we're getting a, a description of the millennium and a reversal of the curse. So I just wanted yeah. to lay out that context because it makes Isaiah 11 so much more powerful when you actually understand the interactions between the kings and the prophets that are going on. Yeah, again, I, I love that you said that too, because this is, this prophecy isn't given in a vacuum. It's in the context of a story that's been unfolding right um, up to this point. And, and the history that you just described is part of that story. So, yeah, yeah I love that you shared that. I, I just, I, I look at this um, passage and I just, this is the kind of leader that we all dream of living under. Um, and to, like a, a one who I just see his, um, you know, the he has wisdom, he has understanding of how to make everything work in every sphere of life. Um, and he's going to have wisdom for how to implement 
those ideas and that understanding, not only in Jerusalem, but in all the nations, so that there is peace on earth, that righteousness flourishes and flourishes and justice flourishes in the earth. And the end result is prosperity and the curse is lifted. And then um, I love that he, this is always interesting to me, the fact that he d delights in obeying the Lord and he is the Lord. Like, yeah. That's just so interesting to me. But, and then how he, he has the, the spirit of the fear of the Lord as yeah. well, but he is the Lord. And I just, I love that here he has all authority, all the power, all riches, all dominion in all the nations of the earth. That's never happened ever to any world leader. Nothing close to that has ever happened. Yet he, he submitted to his own word. Like he has the humility and the meekness that he's accountable actually to his own word. Yeah. Um, that just blows my mind that part. I yeah. love that he, he doesn't make decisions based on hearsay. He's not just, oh, I heard this. I mean, it's like he makes decisions on absolute wisdom and justice, like all, based upon the facts. He knows all the facts. He gives justice to the poor. I love that the earth will shake at the force of his word. I'm like, come on, dude. That's yeah. power right there. That is the picture of power, wisdom, and meekness of Jesus in this passage is beautiful. He wears righteousness like a belt. Um, anyway, I just, I love that section right there. Uh, any, and I just got to point this out and then we'll move on to the next section of verses. But again, we talked about this in the last episode on the Davidic covenant, but verse one is huge. Um, out of the stump of David's family, that's that Davidic covenant that God made in second Samuel seven. He told King David, he said, it's going to be one of your descendants will rule on your throne in Jerusalem as the king of Israel forever. And here it's it's like, yeah, this is this that's what Isaiah is referring to in verse one. Is he's like, yep, it's going to be from David's family, this Messiah. Amen. And I love the word stump. And I might have talked about this in the last video, but you know, when you see a stump of a tree, it, it's like its best years are are in the past. It's yeah. never going to be glorious again. I mean, at one time it was this tree that had branches and leaves and possibly fruit. And it was it's glory days. Right. But now it's just cut down. It's a stump. I mean, you see that and it's like, yeah, it's glory days are over. And I, I, a lot of people would say that with the the line of kings that come from David's family in Israel. Um, It's like you see that his descendants reign and reign and reign. And then it's like. Even to this day, there's not a descendant of King David that's ruling as king in Israel. It hasn't been that way for thousands of years now. And it's like, okay, well, yeah, that David's dynasty is a thing of the past. It's just a stump, right? But but Isaiah prophesies this note because out of that stump, there's going to be a shoot. Mm. And that's the Messiah, the Messiah, the branch, right? Who's going to come up and it's going to grow into a more glorious beautiful, fruitful tree than it has ever been. And um, it will continue forever. So I just, I love that word picture yeah. playing off the Davidic covenant. And there's, there's four verses. I don't have them memorized. I know one is in Zechariah. There's four verses in the old Testament that use the terminology branch as a way to describe the coming Messiah. He's a branch. And each time there's a different distinctive with the term branch. So in this one, it's that uh, 
he comes from the the stump of Jesse, which speaks of his uh, kingly lineage or his royal lineage, right? And so the other times speak of him being a servant, the branch, the servant, um, the branch, the man, and then the branch that is beautiful and glorious. And so all four of them line up with one of the four gospels. It's actually really neat. We could talk about wow. it on a different, different episode. But That's this, interesting. This one lines up with uh, the book of Matthew, where he is expressed as the king of the Jews. And that book mm. is to the Jews. You know, and the yeah. same with Luke. Luke is written to the Greeks. Um, but it's like b- the branch, the man. And then the, the book of Luke actually um, really highlights the manhood of the, or the, the, the personhood of who Jesus is as a man. Um, and so it's really interesting. I don't want to go too deep into that, but I, I got sidetracked as soon as you read that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, go That's ahead. So cool. Yeah. So let's look at verses uh, six through 10 here. So I think six through nine, it just describing some of the effects of Jesus leadership. Like when he's ruling in the capital, like the capital of his government, his, his kingdom will encompass all every nation, tribe and tongue on the whole earth. It'd be the largest empire in the in world history. It's never happened before, but the capital of his kingdom will be in the city of Jerusalem, just like the capital of the Roman Empire was in the city of Rome. Um, and when Jesus is here, he will physically live in Jerusalem. He will be the king of Israel. But as the king of Israel, he'll rule all nations. And in verses six to nine, it describes the the effects of his leadership in the capital city. And I just think it's the most beautiful, it's this, this picture of the Prince of Peace reigning Mm. and, and his, his leadership where righteousness is flourishing. It's like the effects of the curse. You just see them in this passage. They're gone. Um, You know, it's like uh, the the survival of the fittest that comes with the curse is non-existent anymore because there is no fear. Like I love the verse that says nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. Mm. Um, Malachi four, which we'll look at next week is, you know, he talks about, there will be nothing to fear. Like, can you imagine living in an environment where there is literally nothing to be afraid of? And we just, it's, it's never happened since yeah. the fall. Um, and uh, even the animals will be at peace with each other. And uh, can you imagine just, you're not afraid when you're little, toddler walks over to the nest of cobras right right now sticks my, his hand in there yeah when my kids go into the yard right now i have to watch where they are all the time we have um copperheads in the backyard i've seen you know things yeah. like that and so i've always got to be like hey where yeah there's a pond and like water moccasins are there you know so it's like i'm like oh where are you guys at like i, yeah. I can't have you in certain areas you know and so, my yeah. son loves reptiles like when mm-hmm. he was little he loves re- he always wants to catch them Oh, and we'd always be like, do not like we have to tell him, it, um, do not. If you see a rattlesnake, I don't care how exciting it looks. I don't care what you saw Steve Irwin do on the crocodile hunter. Like, <laughs> do not pick up the rattlesnake. Don't try to yeah. touch it and handle yeah. it. And is you know, but he and so man, but it's just so cool to think about. Like, what would it be like to to be able to be like? it's not bad. You know, the fact that he loves reptiles is just part of the, the gift of the nature of God and him. He loves God's yeah. creation. Just like, go have fun, go play. Yeah. Think, think <laughs> about the repercussions too, or the, uh, what, what that'll do for human anxiety. There won't be any because there'll be nothing to fear. So we will live 
it isn't this, this that there's not external uh, 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 dangers. It's like internally, it, wow. you live differently, right? Because the external dangers are, are taken care of. It's like, yes. you know, every night before bed, I lock my doors, right? Yeah. Why? Because there's the potential danger that somebody wants to come in, you know? Is it, yep. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying like a, a wise person locks their doors at night. Unless you live up north where nobody locks their doors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. And, and, and so the, no suicides. Yeah. No, I mean, because no, um, yeah, the, the, the way the external effects of the curse affect our internal world and therefore spill into our relationships. How many divorces happen because of our trigger stuff is triggered by financial pressures or. Yeah something to do with the curse. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And yeah. and it, it, it triggers divorce. I mean, it's just the, it's a huge deal when Jesus is leading and this stuff is fixed. And I think it's important to point out in this passage too. It's like, why is it, it's specifically talking about the city of Jerusalem here. That's why he yeah. says, you know, in, in all my holy mountain, that's Zion, yeah. that's Mount Zion in Jerusalem. That's the capital complex. Um, for sure. Of the earth. You know what I'm saying? But I, I think this is helpful to point out too. When Jesus assumes his position of leadership in the city of Jerusalem and begins to implement his reign, um, it, his reign will first be implemented in the city of Jerusalem where he's at, yeah. in the capital city. And then it will progressively go out from Jerusalem and begin to take effect in the other na surrounding nations and ultimately to the ends of the earth as the water fills covers the sea. Till eventually the whole earth is filled with the glory of the Lord. But I, but what we see here in the in the city of Jerusalem, eventually this is the kind of thing that will happen in all the nations of the earth um, as they implement his policies and et cetera. Amen. I would say, too, if you want to go on a deeper dive, if anybody who's listening wants to go on a deeper dive, read Isaiah chapter 2. Uh, it talks about the, the mountain of the Lord. Read Zechariah. I would say just read Zechariah 12 through 14. Um, mm, yes. you know, later in the book of Isaiah in the 60s, 60 through 65, 66, um, read those and it, 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 it kind of starts putting together a whole picture. So, yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. And, and then of course, verse 10, he talks about, uh, the effects of Jesus leadership on the nations outside Israel, um, as well. This is the, the heir to David's throne. There it is again, Davidic covenant will be a banner of salvation to all the world. And that's an interesting point right there. Right now, um, uh, I, there are a lot of nations surrounding Israel that want no part of submitting to a descendant of King David, a Jewish man, as their king. <laughs> but this is God's plan. You know, that's the that's the Psalm 2 crisis. Yeah. Um, it, this is God's plan. Uh David's son will be the Messiah who rules all nations. And what I love, though, that you see here in verse 10, um, the nations will not only just submit to his rule, they rule, they will do it enthusiastically, where it mm. says um, in that day, the heir to David's throne, he'll be a banner of salvation to all the world. And it says the nations will rally to him. I mean, the land where he lives, Israel, Jerusalem, will be a glorious place. And we're going to read a little bit more about that in Malachi four next week. But, um, but yeah, it's like the nation submitting they're they're excited about Jesus yeah. uh, being their King. And um, 
and and they joyfully will submit to his rule and follow his policies. And it's good. It's gonna be awesome. I think I think it's important to say too. I always take this for granted, and I I have to remember that some people don't know that what our expectation biblically is that Jesus is going to come and rule on the earth, um, and and that is what we call heaven and earth together. And so the the idea of a heavenly destiny of dying and going and being with Jesus forever and that's eternity and there is no plan of restoration for the earth that's not found in your bible and so when we're talking about Jesus coming we're actually talking about Jesus coming and staying and us being with him in resurrected yes. bodies so we we will die but he will resurrect us at his coming and then we will be with him forever and he will rule the nations with righteousness and restore the earth back to Eden. I know if you've been following our podcast, you, you know that we say that a lot, but if this is like your first episode, I don't mm -hmm. want to just talk about Jesus ruling and be like, wait a minute, what, like, when is that going to happen? And it's like when yeah. he, when he returns. So yes. the blessed hope, that's why it's called the blessed hope, the return yep. of Jesus. It's what, what all the apostles were yearning for. It's, Amen. it's the Maranatha heart cry. Come Lord Jesus. Um, that that's the, the climactic conclusion of God's redemption plan. When, when he puts the bow on top of the package and, um, and it's, it is finished. So it's, it's what we're all longing for. Um, and I'm just going to look at here at verses 11 through 16. Um, what's some stuff that, so then again, this is kind of the, um, I, this is my thinking of it. I, th this passage is not necessarily giving things in chronological order. Um, right. it, it's basically just saying in that day, in the day that Messiah is reigning, this is what it's going to be like. And it just kind of gives these pictures and snap snippets and snapshots um, that paint a picture for us um, of, of what he's going to do and what his leadership will look like. Again, when the whole painting is finished, what's that picture going to look like? And this just gives us a visit, vivid picture, this whole passage of what our life is going to be like for eternity. I mean, we can get excited about our eternal future with him. Um, and so this, I just see this as like, these are key things. You know, I think of when a president is elected now, they, they make this big deal of it, their, their first hundred days in office, you know, and it's like the, the most important priorities, the things that they want to get on right away and put their stamp on. This is what my leadership is going to be like. Um, Right away, they have this action plan that they're going to do. And I think these this this section here in verses 11 through 16, it's just describing some key events, some key things, priorities that are going to happen um, around the, the time when Jesus assumes his uh, role as Messiah. And, or not just as Messiah, but he begins to implement his rule in Jerusalem yeah. and among the nations. Yeah. So what stands out to you from this section? I, I, I mean, start in verse 12, or you start in verse 11, but he will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel, yes. right? And then it says, and gather the dispersed of Judah from the cor four, uh, four corners of the earth. So this is before the Babylonian exile, okay? And so some, some would read those verses and just say that happened when they came back from Babylon. Um, but I, I, when you read this fully in context. This seems like a much more distant or future reading of the dispersed coming back uh, to Israel. Like you see now, like you see what's happening now. Um, and even, you know, like if you would have looked at a hundred years ago, people have been like, nah, the sovereignty of Israel, that will never happen again. Like they'll, they'll never be, 
you know, that nation will never exist again. And then, you know, and then the Jews started coming back and it's like, there was a, there was a a whole nother narrative. Well, the Jews aren't really going to like make their way back and they, and, but they have been, you know? Right. And so, and that, and now like the narrative is they'll never build the temple. Right. And so I was listening to uh, um, a podcast the other day and it was like, they're not going to build the temple actually, because he said, most, most Jews don't want to build the temple because um, uh, for religious reasons, they want to build the temple because they told, they're told they can't. And they have much more resolve to build it because they're told they're, they can't than to actually use it as an item of worship. So wow. a lot of secular, secular Jews are more like, no, it's our inheritance. We don't even, I mean, they don't even probably care about the tradition as much, but it's like, just because you're saying we can't, we want to, you know? That's interesting. And so the rage of the nations is actually thrusting forward the, the biblical narrative. Um, I, I heard that on Alan Kirshner's podcast. He's a super smart guy. Hmm. Um, I'd recommend checking that out anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that is something that's highlighted in this passage. And I do think, of course, we've seen in history, we've seen um, uh, foreshadows, I think, of the fulfillment of this. Or we've seen times where Israel has been exiled and they've come back to the land. I think of after the Babylonian exile, um, you know, the Bible tells that story of, of them coming back into the land, rebuilding the temple and rebuilding the wall, Ezra, Nehemiah, etc. Um, but then I specifically this passage, because of things that are in this passage that have never been fulfilled to this yeah. point. Um, I do believe this is and because of the context of Messiah's reign of, of the whole chapter. And it says in that day, it's what day, the day he was just talking about in the previous verses when Messiah is reigning in Jerusalem and there's you know, the nations are rallying to him. I mean, this has not happened yet. It, and so I, I think this is talking about when Jesus returns, uh, there will be many of the, uh, there will be uh, many Jewish people who are exiles in other lands, in other nations. And one of his first things he does, so to speak, when he comes to office is he is going to, uh, He's going to send out the message, you know, raise a flag among the nations. It says, it says, Hey, send back all my people to Israel. Mm-hmm. And then he's going to make, and they're going to do it because they're going to rally to him in verse 10. They're going to be like, yes, sir. I mean, they're, they're going to do it because it's like, why are they going to do that? Because when you read Ezekiel 38 and 39 and revelation 19 and Isaiah 63, the Messiah has just come back and slaughtered the antichrist armies. I mean, like the fear of the Lord is upon the earth. Like, yeah. and so it's like, they're going to be like, we're yes. And, and he, he, and honestly, he'll be appointing the leaders among the yeah. other nations. So they, they will do it. And he'll actually make a way where it says, I, I love the path. The Lord will verse 15, dry, make a dry path through the Gulf of the Red Sea. I mean, who does that make you think of? Moses. Moses. Yeah. Jesus is the greater Moses. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he's doing that on purpose. He will wave his hand over the Euphrates River, sending a mighty wind to divide it into seven streams. Like that's never happened. Right. Um, and so that it can be easily crossed. So he's actually going to make it easy for his people to return. Um, and that's going to be one of his big priorities when he first gets into office, so, so to speak, is. Yes. Having the nations gather all the, the people, exiles of Israel back into the land of Israel, 
Why? Because of the Abrahamic covenant. That's why. Again, yeah. it's the same story that's unfolding here. Um, and so, yeah, that's something I got something else I want to ask you about, but I'll let you just say something if you have it on your mind. No, no, I'm good. Go ahead. So what about verse? Uh, okay. Well, let me just say verse 13. And then I want to ask you about verse 14. Okay. So verse 13, okay. I love this. At last, the jealousy between Israel and Judah will end. They will not be rivals anymore. So again, uh, you know, Again, King David, Israel was a united nation. All 12 tribes of Israel were submitted to David as king. The capital was in Jerusalem. But then a, a generation later, uh, Solomon, you had a united kingdom, all 12 tribes. But then, um, then right at the end of that, after that, there was a division. And basically 10 of the 12 tribes says, you know what? Forget it. We're not submitting to one of David's descendants to be our king. We're going to do our own thing. And so they actually divided. And the 10 northern tribes uh, became were known as Israel. And then the 10, the two southern tribes were known as Judah. The city of Jerusalem was in Judah. But and then throughout a couple, several hundred years, it the 10 tribes of Israel and the two tribes of Judah, they were divided kingdom. And they were not one nation under God so, uh, it, anymore. And they were kind of each doing their own thing, oftentimes at war yeah. with one another. And it's not been a united kingdom since that time. But I, I love the fact that Jesus says, yeah, one of the first things I'm going to do, David's descendants, he's like all 12 tribes yeah. are going to be united. And the, the enmity, the jealousy between them is going to be removed. They're not going to be rivals anymore. They're all going to joyfully submit to David's descendant, Jesus, the Messiah as their king. Um, yeah. So I, I love that part right there. So good. So what about verse 14, where it says they will join forces to the swoop down yeah, on Felicia <laughs> to the west. Together, they will attack and plunder the nations to the east. They will occupy the lands of Edom and Moab and Ammon will obey them. Yeah. my OK, so my bet. So in verse 13, you read Ephraim. Right. And so Ephraim is just another way of saying the other 10 tribes. Mm -hmm. So you got. The 10 tribes in the north, and then you got the two tribes in the south, which is uh, Judah. And was it Benjamin that that stayed with Judah? I think it was. Um, I think so. I'd have yeah, to look I it think, up, but I'm pretty sure. I think it was th the Benjamin tribe that stayed uh, with Judah. And so then you got the other 10. And so they're going to come together. But it says that they are going to partner with the or come down on the shoulder of the Philistines in the west. And together with the Philistines, they're going to plunder the people of the east. So to me, this is Israel taking back the land that, that was actually promised to them, uh, to, to Abraham, right? Yes, and the Abrahamic yes. covenant. So they're going through and they're going to go east. So when you think east, start thinking more towards the, the direction of Bab Babylon, uh, Iraq, th those areas over there. Um, but this is the, this is what it looks like for them to take back the land. And so this is so outside of the realm of the Western pulpit, like yes, <laughs> talking about this kind of, cause you say this kind of stuff and they're like, wait a minute, what do you mean? Like, isn't all that fulfilled in Jesus? Like, didn't his, didn't the cross like satisfy these things? And it's like, there's a whole nother narrative here at play that is not subject to our opinion or how we think it should go. And so we have to be willing to talk about these things that Jesus cares about the nations and will take over nations that rebel against him. This is not like a, 
This is not going to be like symbolically fulfilled. This is going to be literally fulfilled when Jesus comes back and is the king. But he's going to conquer with justice and righteousness, not with not it's not going to be about greed. It's not going to be about um, there's not going to be an injustice in it. Everything will go forth the way that it should. Amen. And that's a whole nother topic that we could probably discuss on another podcast episode because the church is so split and divided over how we think these types of verses would be fulfilled. Cause we just can't imagine in our mind um, war being the thing that Jesus uses um, to, to take back the land. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yet again, we see this picture of the greater King David. I mean, yes. David himself gets it when he comes into office um, he's ruling all 12 tribes, but then the Lord uses him actually to destroy the Philistines and et cetera, just surrounding nations that were occupying the land that God promised to Abraham yeah. and his descendants and to take that land until eventually, by the time you get to David's son, Solomon reigning, that it's taken care of. You know what I'm yeah. saying? But I, yeah. I think it's interesting. Sometimes I know I used to think. I didn't even used to think of Jesus reigning on the earth, to be honest. Um, <laughs> which is normal. Um, yeah, which is normal because you, we're we're all a product of how we've been discipled and trained. Yeah. And, a, and a lot of times when people say, tell me the message, the message of Christ, we start with the virgin birth in Matthew chapter one. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> instead of starting uh, in the Old Testament, and right. telling the whole story, but uh, sorry, I got distracted. I got a phone call right there that came up on my screen. No, no, you're fine, man. I forgot what was I saying? Oh Just yeah, Jesus. where to start with the gospel? Yeah. So a lot, the, the, even if we do think about um, Jesus' earthly reign, a lot of times we just think he returns and shazam. Yeah, it's done. That's but here we see the it. it's yeah. a process. Like he's using natural processes. Um, he, you know, he takes his throne in Jerusalem, he slaughters the Antichrist armies, but then he's, but then there's even, he rallies the assembles, all the exiles of Israel. I mean, it doesn't just happen in a moment. It happens over time. They got to travel. It's, it may be even on foot, according to verse 15, some of them. Yeah. It takes a while. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like it's going to take time, but they'll come back. And then it's interesting. There's this process of, okay, it's not just Shazam. Now I got this land. And then it's, it, he's actually taking joining forces and they're conquering their enemies and claiming the rest of the land that God promised to Abraham. There's, you see this process. And of course it gets to the place where there is no war anymore eventually, but initially when he returns, he comes as a man of war. And and I think he will, he'll rule with us in the sense that he he will, he will use our input. And, And I know that this seems like foreign but it's not as though he's just like, I'm the authority. I'm going to make all the decisions. As his bride, I think he's, he, will, he will ask the bride, hey, what do you guys think is the best? You know, there's these three things that we could do to take over this nation. What do you guys think? Like, this is just my imagination, like kind of yeah. going off with, some, with, with the, the full biblical storyline. So like, if this is the first time you're hearing this kind of stuff, like, just know it's thoroughly in the Bible. This isn't yes. like a fringe thing that we're like making up on the spot. This is thoroughly the way um, that that the redemption story 
uh, is told is through process. And so I'm just used to stirring up my own holy imagination and thinking about how the Lord's going to rule. And he says that we rule with him. And so when he goes to a place, I think he takes um, th- pe- people, you know, his closest confidence alongside him. And he's like, these are the three best options, I think, moving forward. We can do this, this, and that. And all three of these options have 10 different routes. What do you guys think? Like, here's, huh. here's what I think, but I want to hear, are you, do you guys have the tenderness and the meekness and the humility to walk this out without pride in the Sermon on the Mount lifestyle, in the millennium, in your resurrected bodies? So I think about, I think through it all like that, like how we lead our life now is preparing for us to lead with him uh, in eternity. That's why we have to make good choices with money. That's how we have to make good choices in our relationships. That's why we have to uh, make good choices with our time because we're actually going to rule with him. And when we do, he wants us to think like he thinks and act like he acts because we will be making much bigger decisions in the millennium. Now, ultimately, all authority is his. I'm not saying like that we have more authority than him. I'm just saying I, I believe it's a partnership. Yeah, because in his he has all the authority, but in his sovereignty, yeah. out of his own desire, he shares it with his people. Yes. Um, that he has redeemed with his own blood, you know. And well, I love that passage in Revelation chapter five. I mean, there, you know, it says, um, you know, you are worthy talking to Jesus, the lamb who was slain, you are worthy to have all dominion, authority, power, riches over all the nations. Why? Because with your blood, you purchased men for God and you have made us to be kings and priests. How long? Forever. Yes. And then it says this next sentence, and we, they will reign on the earth earth. with him forever. He chooses to share it. Like he redeems us it's incredible. It's just in a beautiful story. Of course, we'll get to that passage too later in this season one. Yeah. But um, again, you know, this is new to you. I know it was for me like a long time ago. I'm like, what? Like if I would have heard this episode about 15 years ago, I would have, I would have been uh, about 75% of what we just said would have been new to me. And, yeah. but I just encourage you, you know, and I, I have, so I have, I have compassion and mercy, but I encourage you to go back to episode one in this season and just start making your way through, read the passages on your own, study them and don't just take our word for stuff. This is why we read the whole passage, but read it for yourself, study it and see if it says what we're saying. And um, because I think of this, like if, if there was a story, if there was a story and all your life, you've only been told like one third of the story and you know, a very important third, a very glorious part of the story, you know it. And you're like, I love that. I believe, but, but you were under the assumption that that was the whole story. And then all of a sudden, if I came up to you and started telling you the first third of the story <laughs> the, and, uh, and, and you'd be like, you're telling me a different story. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, no, I'm telling you the first part of the story that you learned. It's all one story. You just learned a third of it. A glorious yeah. third, but the other two thirds are equally as glorious. And the whole is even more glorious when you yes. see the whole story together. So that's kind of what we're doing in season one is we're trying to just put out there the other two thirds of the story so that you can see the whole thing and it will thrill your soul. And so just be patient with yourself. Don't be, don't be discouraged if it's new to you. It takes time and study to get it, but just start reading it. And little by little, God will help you see it in the word. And um, amen. And, You'll, you'll enjoy it.
Yeah. So, when I, when I, when I first started hearing it, I was like, I, I can't say that. I can't say those things in confidence. You know, it takes, it takes a minute and then you learn it and you're like, Oh, I can't not say that. I have, that's the gospel. I have to say yeah. that, you know? So amen. So pulls us out. <laughs> yes. Amen. Yeah. So we'll, we'll end this episode here. We want to encourage you uh, to, uh, you know, to, to like and subscribe, um, you know, to our YouTube channel, um, like it, share the video with other people. Um, and then we all, and then you hit the notification bell. So when we do other live uh, broadcasts, you can um, watch it and then ask your questions live when we're going live and we can answer any questions you have about the passage we're talking about. Um, and then the other thing we just wanted to do is to encourage you guys to, uh, oh, by the way, nobody did this, but the four parts of the biblical storyline, there they are on your screen. So maybe next episode, I'll try it again. See if anybody gets it, but there it is. Yeah. You we'll can do study it for the next episode. Does. Yep. There Let's you do go. It until somebody gets it. Yeah. I like it. And then finally, we encourage you to start your own discovery Bible studies. And I just, I got a slide here on the screen, uh, with five discovery Bible study questions, and you could read any passage in the Bible. And just ask, answer these five questions related to that passage. And it's a great tool to disciple people, uh, to share the gospel with people who don't know about Jesus and they want to learn about him. Go through these key chapters and teach them the biblical story and just using these simple questions. But we encourage you, it's a great tool to lead people to Jesus and to disciple them. And so, yeah, we'll go ahead and wrap up here. Anything else I need to say before I'm done? I think we're good. Okay. Oh, yeah, this. Encourage you to check out my book. <laughs> One last thing. Uh, you can just scan the QR code there, Paradise, God's Eternal Plan for People in the Earth. And if you just want to learn more about these things, that big picture storyline of the Bible, this would be a great uh, book to kind of um, acquaint yourself with what the scriptures say. So thank you for listening in, and we look forward to connecting with you guys again on the next episode. God bless. Amen.